So, this is kind of a little bit of a continuation of last week. You remember last week? Oh, that was too long ago. We talked about alcohol, drugs, and yoga. And the fundamental conclusion is that by using any form of intoxicant, it actually empowers the mind, empowers the mind to run your life. And we've discussed that in the yoga process, the need to have actual control over your mind is not just fundamental, but it is in many ways the essence of learning yoga. It's extremely unfortunate that yoga, or what people think of as yoga, has become very popular. And it's turning into this massive business. But actually less and less people are engaged in actual yoga practice. If you are engaged in physical exercise and you are not engaged in any spiritual cultivation or any attempts to deal with your mind, then reality is you are not engaged in yoga. I'm sorry if that offends anyone. The intention is not to offend. But it is really critically important that people understand this principle and this point. So we know that when the mind, when the mind is given free reign, when it is simply propelled by desire and all just all these thoughts and these different ideas that are just constantly popping into the mind, it becomes really, really difficult for the person, the spiritual being who resides within the body to become truly free, to experience true happiness and deep spiritual love. It becomes impossible if we are just run, um, our life is run by our mind. So in the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, the second pada, in the fifth verse, it states, and he's describing here ignorance. Now, I, I, you know what's a little bit kind of difficult for a lot of people, especially in the Western world, where everybody is very much empowered with ideas of self-importance and what I think is true and what I like to do is somehow sacred and important. And, you know, it's just like... <laughs> It's just like, you know, I'm sorry, that's really unfortunate if people are going to live in that world because they, 
doom themselves to un unhappiness. So in, in yoga, you know, the yogic idea, for instance, of even psychology, yoga is really, they really have made an intense study through personal experimentation and through different yogic methods. They made amazing studies about the nature of the mind. And the idea of, of yogic um, psychology in the mind is completely different than what we see in the Western world. In the Western world, there is this fundamental idea uh, with most psychologists that your mind is a function of your brain. Your mind is a function of your brain. And in the yoga world, that is absolutely not true. And anybody that's like, there's so many um, neurologists, people that do brain surgery, many of them who have been immersed in this for years will also tell you that they are absolutely unconvinced that the mind is a function of the brain. They see, they, they, there's all evidence to point that they are two separate things. Of course, there is an intimate relationship, but they are not, they are not the same thing. Similarly, in, in yogic terms, because they have such a radically different view of the world and a view of who you are and what will make it so that you can come to the platform of happiness, their understanding of ignorance is completely different. Ignorance doesn't mean an uneducated person, meaning they haven't been to school or anything, or they don't have good manners. A person with a PhD can be incredibly ignorant, ignorant of the foundational understanding of who I am and how I exist actually separately from my body. So in this sutra of um, Patanjali, he states that ignorance consists of considering what is temporary as eternal. It's like, what? What is temporary? Your you're having a particular type of body and the labels attached to it. You are not a male or a female just because your body is. You are not tall or short or thin or fat because your body is. You are not a Kiwi, an Asian, an American, an Indian, just because your body is. No, you are not. And becoming overly immersed in those ideas is the foundation of all, not some or most, all unhappiness and misery. So when I identify with a particular bodily identity 
as being who I am, I'm making the statement, this is who I am for all eternity. And it's absolutely not true. And that's just one of, I could give you limitless examples of how people hold that which is temporary. They consider it to be eternal. And when you do that, you are in a state of ignorance, bewilderment, and confusion. So ignorance consists of considering that which is temporary as eternal, that which is impure as being pure. Now that's a really big, fast subject. One would consider misery as happiness. Can we relate to that or not? You know, when you keep... I saw this this amazing interview these guys were doing in in Holland and where you can just go get free um, heroin. We're not talking about methadone, we're talking about heroin. And there's this guy and this girl and they're both talking about and they're all... Their skin's all breaking out and they're skinny and they're filthy and their teeth are rotting out of their head and they're miserable. They can hardly talk. And they're talking about the need to change my life. We've got to do something about this. And then as soon as they feel some agitation that comes about because of the addiction and your body is heroin deprived, then you immediately start thinking, my happiness lies in shooting some of this stuff into my arm. And here they are in a park. This guy's got a needle hanging out of his arm and he's on his knees. He's been sitting with his legs underneath him and he's just fallen forward onto the ground. So his head's on the ground and his knees on the ground and he's just like slurring and his saliva running out of his mouth and he's got a, got a needle sticking out of his arm. These are kind of like obvious examples. But if we go deeper into our life and the choices that we make and how we choose to live and engage in relationships and live our life, frequently we are making choices that contribute to our misery. But we make these choices thinking that they are going to bring us happiness. And of course, the final form of ignorance consists of considering what's described here as the non-self, meaning my body and my mind, to be me. This constitutes ignorance. We live in a time when it, it's astonishing. It's astonishing how there is this proliferation of pornography and how acceptable it is and how common it is. And people just joke about it. And people sit there on their phones looking at it and they don't care if anybody's around them. My son-in-law, he was bringing my daughter um, back to the U.S. And there was some 
girl sitting in the airport. They pass by and she's just sitting there and it's blaring up, you know, and we're talking about like really hardcore. And he's just like, it's like, what the hell is going on? What is going on? Well, the problem is this, you know, we having accepted the material philosophy, the foundation of the materialistic philosophy is I am material. This body is me. I am therefore material. This is the foundation of materialism. The next step then is that the senses, the sense of touch, taste, smell, hearing, that if I stimulate and try and feed my senses, it will mean that I will become happy. And this is so far from reality. You can stimulate your body and mind into a frenzy. You can do all kinds of stuff to it. You can drug it out. You can sex it out. You can eat it out. You can, you can do everything. You can just go into this extreme and come away from that feeling suicidal. So depressed after all this experience. Pornography is particularly problematic. It is particularly problematic from a number of different angles. One angle is that when a person stimulates the mind sexually, there is an instant reaction within the body and within the mind. There is an instant reaction. And the idea that I can then become fulfilled by taking this, you know, just on and on and on and on, easily overwhelms us, easily takes over. And there's this extraordinary thing happening where people, I mean, there's all these studies out now as to what's really going on. And people that spend time just, you know, engaged in, in, in absorbed in pornography, it doesn't take very long before physiological changes begin in the brain. When the brain is subjected to a heightened state of arousal and it's allowed to go on for an hour or two hours or three or four hours, it begins to change some of the fundamental, not just the pathways in the brain that transmit electrical impulse and where certain chemicals are, are passed around, but we're talking about even the physical structure of the brain begins to change. And it quickly evolves into a form of addiction where I am completely at the mercy of my mind.
Well, I could spend my whole life in this haze. And the moment of death will come when I am to leave my body. My consciousness will be in the sewer. I will be overwhelmed with fear. You know, the living being, the soul, is yearning to be free. Is it not? The living being is yearning. The soul yearns to be free. The soul yearns for happiness. The soul yearns for love. But when we choose these courses of action, what we are doing is making it practically impossible for me to become free, for me to experience true happiness. And in, in some ways, maybe more than intoxicants, it empowers the mind to completely take over. And of course, the result is absolutely horrific where this goes. One of the things that always happens, if people spend time absorbed in, in pornography, they are finding now that people lose the ability to be able to have healthy relationships. You lose the ability to feel empathy for others. You objectify people. You are, a person is a special thing. Any life is incredibly special and important. And when I shut out in my mind, the existence of a person, and I simply look at a body and see it as a thing I can just use and just wring pleasure out of and use to stimulate me and excite me. And, you know, then it, what it does, I, I am being immersed in a form of selfishness that is incredibly destructive, incredibly destructive. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely true. Yeah, it, you know what? These things all start in the mind. They all start in the mind. And when people live in that world, it, it is astonishing where it can go. We shouldn't look at people, I mean, you have pedophiles, you have, I mean, we're, we're doing this thing in the prisons, and it's just like amazing doing these meditation classes, and the response we're getting is incredible. Next week, we're moving into the sex offender unit, and it's like, but they are also people, and they also need love, and they also need a chance. But when one of the guys tells me he was in there for like six months or nine months, and with him were two guys that raped a 13-year-old baby, a 13-month-old baby. 
And it's just like, how, you know, and he just felt so nauseous. He got up and walked out of the group that was discussing it. But this and more, all of this becomes possible when we pursue the materialistic philosophy, when we live in ignorance, giving up this actual understanding of our true spiritual identity. So, you know, this is actually a really big and and a really far out subject. And a lot of people can relate to it. But I will just state a couple of of truths. One is that for you, for you to engage deeply in the pursuit of use of pornography, it is absolutely required that you must give away any notion of your spiritual existence and any notion of the spiritual existence of the people that you're looking at, the bodies that you're looking at. You must become totally lost in this untruth that the body is me. This is an untruth. It doesn't even have a little truth to it. It is totally untrue. The body is a vehicle that I am using. And when I become absorbed in this untruth, it becomes impossible for me to experience any form of actual freedom, any real and lasting happiness. And I will never know peace in this life. Pretty serious, yeah? You know, I, I'll just read. There is a word in, in Sanskrit that they use to describe this condition of being overwhelmed like this. And the word is karma, not karma, K-A-R-M-A, which is action, but K and a long A, K-A-M-A, karma. Karma literally can be translated in English to lust. But again, in, 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 in the yogic sciences and the Vedic scriptures, they have a whole different way of looking at what we would call sin or sinful acts than people that are exposed, for instance, to Christianity. It's just like this amazing different way of, of looking at it. But one of the characteristics of this lust or come is this intense selfishness, where it becomes all about me. And if it becomes intensely all about me, I become capable of anything. The most horrific, violent, (coughs) destructive criminal acts are performed by people that are overwhelmed with selfishness where they cannot even feel, they don't even feel that they are causing pain and suffering to others. They are so lost in their own anger or in their own desire or whatever. They're so lost in it that all they can think about is me and what I'm experiencing. And everybody else is just a blur. 
it's almost non-existent. So like, for instance, when they conduct therapies for people that are uh, sexual offenders, um, particularly against children, but anybody, a big change begins to happen to a criminal who is engaged in this activity when they begin to recognize that the person that I committed this offense against actually didn't like it. Not only did they not like it, I terrorized them. I caused them such pain and terror that their life will probably be spent trying to deal with what has happened. The people that commit these kinds of activities are so overwhelmed with self-centeredness and selfishness that there is, they're oblivious to what they are doing to others. So this is kind of like the far end of the spectrum. But all of these things are, are tied together. I'll just read before we finish. Um, because these nights are just short snippets of transcendental truth. It's not the time to deal with them in detail. In the Bhagavad Gita, this great warrior prince, after having heard some instructions, spiritual instruction, and he's preparing for a battle. He's on the battlefield. And then there's all this stuff going through his mind. He's like in turmoil. He can't figure out what he should do, what's the right course of action. And he asks, O descendant of Brishni, by what is one impelled to sinful acts, even unwillingly, as if engaged by force. He asks this question. It's a really, wow, this is a powerful question. What is it that takes hold of people? And even I say, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, I'm doing it anyway. And that can be a small thing or it can be a huge thing. But it's the same idea and it can become easily magnified if people do not acquire the ability to step back from their mind and their senses and desire and make decisions about how I'm going to act based on what is in my best interest, which means my spiritual interest. The response, the blessed Lord said, it is Lust only, Arjuna, which is born from contact with the material modes of passion and later transforms into wrath, extreme anger, and which is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. <coughs> the living entity's pure consciousness becomes covered by his eternal enemy, in the form of lust, which is never satisfied and burns like fire. So lust here is not just talking about sexual desire. 
It is talking about all forms of self-centered desire. And the reality of material life is you can try again and again and again. Like when people watch pornography, does it satisfy them? If it did, they wouldn't have to go back. But the fact is, you can stimulate yourself into a, a, a lather and just be frothing at the mouth and you know, seeking to have a, a sexual climax. And then within minutes, within hours, within days, you're right back there again in the same place not only have you not been satisfied, you have actually poured kerosene on the fire. And that fire has now become hotter. And this is the way things work. Then it's described that the senses and the mind and the intelligence are sitting places for this lust. Through them, lust covers the real knowledge of the living entity and bewilders him. Therefore, O Arjuna, best of the Bhattas, in the very beginning curb this great symbol of sin known as lust by regulating the senses and slay this destroyer of knowledge and self-realization. So here, this intense self-centeredness is described as a destroyer of knowledge and a destroyer of self-realization. So that was rather a serious topic. Everybody looks quite intensely serious. Don't worry. You know, the most wonderful thing is even if we are in a state where we are damaged, damaged by self-centeredness, damaged by lustfulness, damaged by materialism and material concepts, damaged by the self-centeredness, even if you are in the most fallen state or condition, simply by engaging in this spiritual process of kirtan, by chanting these transcendental sounds, one is able to gradually dissipate the ignorance that covers us, that gradually there comes clarity and transformation in our life to the point where we can become completely self-realized and God-realized by this process it is not excessively difficult. It is easy for anyone. So with that, I would like to invite you to join with me and let us chant these transcendental sounds. Unless anybody's got a question.
I'm sorry, I didn't, I couldn't hear so well. Yeah. This is this is a big subject, and we will we will deal with things, um, but I think we're kind of out of time. So we will sing um, this mantra, Om Hari Om. This sound, Om, is the transcendental sound representation of the absolute truth or God. And the word Hari, it addresses this highest truth as he who removes, removes the impediments from my heart, removes my suffering, removes my pain. And so to chant this mantra, Om Hari Om, is like a very fervent prayer. And by chanting it very thoughtfully, then one will immediately experience um, an effect from this.
Thank you very much. Howdy, boys.